Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Whole Well Podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies to make a difference in the social impact world. My name's Carisha Martinez, one of the senior marketing associates here at Whole Well, and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. Today on the pod, we have Stephen King. Stephen brings a unique combination of vision, foresight, and experience to help nonprofits maximize their cash flow and operational efficiency. He's been a dedicated board member of many nonprofit organizations, including seven years working for Amnesty International USA as their chief financial officer and director of development. An interesting combination. He's helped with their finances and fundraising. Regarded as one of the accounting industry's top thought leaders, he's currently serving as president and CEO of Growth Course, where nonprofits now represent 35% of their clients. So thanks for coming on the show, Stephen. Thanks, Carisha. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about your five-step framework for helping nonprofits, um, which I think is particularly interesting as it relates, again, to fundraising um, and having a steady cash flow. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you came up with it? Yeah, it starts with, you know, I've been a CPA for 35, 36 years. This is my sixth recession. Um, And um, I started my career at Ernst & Young. And then I got an opportunity to go over to work for um, one of my clients, Amnesty International USA. And when I realized this was two weeks after Bruce Springsteen, U2, Peter Gabriel, Sting, they all did this worldwide Human Rights Now tour. And Amnesty USA grew from 6 million to 18 million in a year and a half, like overnight. And my job was to come in and put the infrastructure to handle this growth, right? To help get the management reports, to help give development what they needed to be able to go back to the donors and show them how we spent their money. And one of the things I realized is that nonprofits need to be run exactly like well-run for-profit businesses. Mm-hmm. The only difference is you take the the profits, the excess, and you reinvest it back into the mission. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that management needs actionable financial intelligence to be able to make decisions. Which programs generate the most outcomes and help us further the mission the most? Which, are the, which programs help us serve more people? And which programs are fundable, are sellable, allow us to get more money? And so Taking the best practices from the for-profit world, you start with the end in mind and look at what decisions does the management team have to make and the board of directors have to make? Then what are the drivers of those decisions? And then, and only then, can you figure out what data do you need in order to make data-driven decisions and to have your fingers on the pulse to measure and monitor those, those reports? So that's the backdrop, you know, trying to take the best of the for-profit world, and lots of small businesses are poorly run. So I'm not saying nonprofits should be run the same as for-profits. I'm saying they should be run as well-run for-profits, the ones that are really executing. And so what we found was we developed this five-step framework where it starts with defining your mission. What, what is the outcomes that you're looking for from the, from the mission? And how do you best further that mission? The second is, what are the core program decisions that you have to make? And then after you understand what the program decisions are you make, then what are the outcomes from those programs that help create the, that help you further the mission the most? So what outputs define those outcomes? And then fourth is, how do you develop a management reporting system to allow you to be able to Have what you need at your fingertips at all time so that then you can get to step five, which is making data-driven decisions. So 
you know, it starts with serve defining your mission. How do you, what programs help you create better outcomes for the people you serve, help you serve more people, or help you get more donors to contribute to get more outcomes? So, you know, that's the first step of the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, as I do these kind of podcast episodes, I do kind of find that push and pull that you're mentioning of running nonprofits, like well-run for-profit businesses. And that's often where a lot of experts and thought leaders like yourself who work in nonprofit development or operations kind of have that same idea and thinking. And it's very interesting as opposed to those who may be in uh, nonprofits for longer times or maybe have more traditional views of thinking about putting the outcome first, right? Like, how can we uh, think about the most impact made? Which is not to say that that's not something that we're thinking about, but it kind of becomes a little bit of backwards thinking when you're focused mostly on uh, the outcomes as opposed to the work that needs to be put in to make sure that these outcomes actually happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's really fascinating. We did, we've served thousands of organizations in since I really started doing this in the mid nineties after I left Amnesty. And what the first difficult decision that nonprofits have to make is who is the ideal client mm. or, you know, who, not all of your, 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 um, the people you serve are equally suited to your mission. Right. We did an ebook um, how to make data-driven decisions for nonprofits. And we studied a couple of nonprofits. And my favorite story is the Fort Bend Women's Shelter. Mm-hmm. Their mission is to help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse among women in, in the greater Fort Bend area. And they have a shelter with 135 beds and they were full every night. Mm-hmm. And so the board and the management team were looking and saying, you know, we're, we're really doing our mission. We're, we're, we're housing uh, battered women and providing them with shelter and we're full. So, you know, our focus should be on how do we help get more beds? And after going through this five-step process, what by starting with the mission, but the, the management team, and this is typically a process that starts with the executive director and all the program directors, mm-hmm. and then and then presented to the board with recommendations for how management thinks things should change. What they came back and said is, our our mission is to break the cycle of homelessness and abuse. And so when you look at the first decision is whom should you serve? The second decision is what programs should you stop, start, or continue? Mm. And you base that based on which ones create the best outcomes. What are the outputs that you can measure that help you create the best outcomes? And in their case, they were doing a great job at the first half, which is, you know, uh, breaking the cycle of homelessness, but just providing food and shelter didn't break the cycle of abuse. And so now working backwards from the mission, you're able to look and say, okay, what programs can help us further the cycle, breaking the cycle of abuse? And what they found was it's helping a woman get her first job. To leave the abuser means you've got to be self-sufficient. And so what they did was they went out and started a vocational services program to help somebody go through the training necessary to get that first job. And what's great about all this is by going through this methodology, for me, what gets the most, gets me the most exciting excitement is when we see our clients raise more money because 
they are able to show the donors the tangible result of their gift. And then that the Society of Fundraising Executives shows when you show the donor the tangible result of the gift, you'll get a higher average gift and you'll get more frequent giving. And what they were able to do is to go out and start a new program and show donors that if we can get funding for six vocational training classes, six seem to be the magic number of classes that if you went through this, then you'd be ready to go get that first job. Then we can help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse. And so they realized that not all their clients were participating in the vocational training program. So their F, the emphasis shifted. I like to say they had their emphasis on the wrong syllable. Okay. <laughs> they were just trying to provide housing and food and housing. And now what they said is let's use our beds and our shelter and our resources to help someone who wants to go through these vocational training classes. They're the clients that are going to help us further our mission the most. And so they started this new program, the vocational training program. And then that leads you to the third decision, which is often the hardest decision for nonprofits, which is when do you hire staff? Payroll is the biggest expense every nonprofit has by far. It's often 80% or more of the expense, right? Rent, rent is a distant second. And so when you tie it to outcomes, when you can look there and see, okay, if we hire someone who can help us uh, develop this vocational training program, then you can get the fourth and final decision, which is where do you get the biggest return on investment from your development dollars, from your investment in your fundraising exercises? And so by going to a donor and saying, if you can, it costs us $5,000 to put to have one person go through these six vocational training courses. Now, then you can start to develop ROI on a development program that shows the donor the tangible results of the gift. So, you know, it's all about tying the mission to the outcomes and then figuring out starting from there what programs should you start. And what right now, I just literally got off a call this morning with a, uh, the Village Learning and Achievement Center. Uh, here in Kingwood, Texas, who is looking at this program and saying, okay, COVID has changed everything. We're doing a lot of services virtually now. And so by going through this evaluation of which programs create the most outcomes and measuring the outputs of each program, then you can start to see in this new world, where should we invest our dollars? Yeah. And I love the way that you tie development and fundraising into that, especially from a marketing and messaging point of view, which is what I'm more familiar with. When you think about advertising or sending emails to your donor base, asking for X amount of dollars, it becomes very hard for you to ask for them, ask them for money without saying this is what your money is going to. Or you think about um, very like big fundraising commercials, like a dollar a day could help this dog find a new home tomorrow or things yes. like that. And you think about the ways that having these very specific and tangible numbers and outcomes, like you said, that are related to the mission can help in raising more money and thus reaching your mission even further. Exactly. And in fact, what was really interesting is a year later, the management team went through their at the village, uh, sorry, at the Fort Bend Women's Shelter, they went through their uh, retreat and they went through the same five-step process. And mm -hmm. what they found was that they were very successful in building this new vocational training program. People were happy to fund it. It's mm -hmm. tangible, right? You can see that result. 
But what they were able to do is to be able to measure the outputs, right? How many people got jobs right. that created those outcomes? And they found was, in some cases, they needed to add counseling services. Mm. They needed to help, you know, deal with the, the, the self-worth, the psychology, the psychological counseling services that were needed now to make you feel worthy of that first job. And so then donors stepped up to fund that because you could see it. You could measure the efficacy of each program. You could see that the non-financial outputs and be able to show somebody why it was worthwhile. And then, and then it leads you to step four, which is measuring the economics of each of those outcomes. Yeah. I'm curious in this five-step framework that you have, that sounds really great. Where do you find that nonprofits usually fall off or is the step that they usually stall at? Well, you know, most nonprofits that we work with are, are, are do a really good job on the mission. There's alignment mm -hmm. around the mission. They do a really good job on defining the outputs and the outcomes of each mission so they know intuitively, intangibly what's working, what's not working. They're working with the clients. They're working with the victims. They're working with the survivors. But where they fall down is in step four, which is in measuring the economics of each outcome, of each program. And most nonprofits, over 80% of nonprofits use QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. And QuickBooks is incredibly powerful. It is, it, it's like most people use it the same way they use Excel, which is, you know, you use Excel to add and subtract and maybe multiply and divide, right? Yeah. And, and but, you know, pivot tables, not so much. Yeah. QuickBooks is the same thing. Most nonprofits, they've got somebody who is a full charge bookkeeper, that trusted person who is the keeper of the finances. Mm -hmm. typically they're self-taught, you know, they don't have an accounting degree because people who go and get an accounting degree or a CPA aren't usually willing to go work for a nonprofit and make $20,000 a year less. Right. Right. They're accountants, right? So they're capitalists, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's difficult to find someone who's got the training and the skills. And then you rely on volunteers. You might have a board member who's a CPA or a banker, you know, who serves as treasurer, but that's, inconsistent in the skills. And that's not what they do for a living. Mm -hmm. And so what the big opportunity, which is easy to do when you know how, is to be able to set up the accounting system to be able to show you what the revenue and the expenses are for each of your programs, mm -hmm. each of your clients, and each of the services that you provide. And what that does is it allows you to see what, what, what's called in the for-profit world unit economics. What is, the, what is the, the, the profit or loss on each service? You know, in the, in the Fort Bend example, there is no revenue except for donor revenue. So there's a loss every time you provide shelter, you provide food, you provide childcare, you provide clothing, right? Mm -hmm. But by, by setting up QuickBooks and using the classes, and in particular, QuickBooks Online is amazing. They have tags that allow you to tag things in ways that QuickBooks Desktop cannot. Mm. You can start to tag your spending and saying, okay, what service was this for? What client was this for? If a donor funded this, what donor funded that program? And now you can start to run a profitability report 
by client, by service, by donor. What that means is if you can tag your whatever income and expenses you've got to a client and that client or that program to a donor, now it's easy to go back to the donor and say, thank you for your gift, $500 a month. Because of you, we were able to have six people go through vocational training this month. Right. And, and here's what the, the, how we spent your money. And then here's what the outcomes were as a result. Here's what the outputs were as a result. Mm-hmm. Here's the number of meals that were served. Here's the number of people that were served. Here's the number of people who got a first job. And by designing a reporting system in QuickBooks to be able to show you those unit economics of each program, of each client, of each service unit, now you've got an ability to run better and grow faster and raise more money. Yeah, I'd love to play devil's advocate for a second on um, kind of running nonprofits more as a well-run business, right? You kind of tie donor revenue in your example to programs that you're able to fund and raise or and produce. So what happens when maybe you don't have that much donor money coming in? Does that mean that you can't have these specific programs? And what does that mean for the impact that you can make? Oh, that's reality. <laughs> that's just real. That there is not enough money to do all the things that nonprofits want to do. Mm-hmm. The Village Learning Center has five initiatives that they want to do mm-hmm. that are not in the budget. They're not in the budget. And the executive director and the management team really wants to do it. So the purpose of having this manager report is to be able to build your case statement. Mm. This is how you start to increase your fundraising. This is how you raise more money, right? Mm. Why do you need the funding? Then you can identify who are the clients that are going to serve, who are the best servers, and then you can show the donor the value of your gift. Mm. And and by having that, then you can start to to bring it all together. There's there's there there is absolutely never enough cash, right? <laughs> but, that, but that should not prevent you from reporting on it, mm. right? That should not prevent you from being able to go to your program manager and say, or, or should, I'm sorry, that should not the, prevent the program manager from going to the executive director and saying, look, I've got enough money to do 5,000 meals served and we have 6,500 people who want to eat. Mm-hmm. So now the development office has a very clear case statement. And this is what development, you know, it was really interesting. I did four years as the CFO. Mm-hmm. I was 33 years old at the time. I'm 60 years old now. So I've made a lot of mistakes since then. But I went to Jack Healy, who was the executive director of Amnesty International USA. And I said, mm-hmm. all right, the accounting system's built. HR has changed. IT is implemented. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to be executive director somewhere. <laughs> Okay. So I come into you to let you know I'm going to start looking for a job as executive director of a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's great. If you want to be executive director, you need to learn how to raise money because that's the job of the executive mm-hmm. director to make sure there's enough funding. Two weeks later, Diane Feinstein decided to run for Senate. Her campaign manager I hired as our director of development, D. Erta Kell. And D. Delek came to me and said, Steve, I got bad news. Diane called. I got to go. And then Jack said, Steve, why did you take it over? You could be the director of development. I'm like, I'm an accountant. I don't know how to do this because I've heard you speak. You're (laughs) passionate about human rights. So let's give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And 
what I found when I moved over to that other role was the biggest problem development has is building the case statement. How much does it cost to serve that meal, to serve, to build, to deliver those vocational training services? And when you build that case statement, it needs to be fully loaded costs. Mm-hmm. You got to take the, you know, what they call above the line and below the line, right? What is the line? The line is your margin. What right. is it? The above the line cost is the labor mm-hmm. and the materials to directly serve the client. It's the direct labor of the person delivering the vocational training. It's the direct materials of the, the training materials that the clients actually get. All those are, are considered the cost of services, right? Those are above the line costs. Mm-hmm. Where And those are relatively easy to track. Where development gets frustrated is when accounting can't answer, well, what about the costs of lights, dent, rent, insurance? Some portion of the executive director's time is going to be supervising the vocational training programs. All of those costs are legitimate costs of the program. Right. And so what you want to do is you want to be able to look at, set up your chart of accounts in, in QuickBooks to be able to see all those, separate those above the line from the below line costs, and then be able to allocate your overhead mm-hmm. to each program so that you can build the strongest case. Because you can't deliver vocational training services without a small piece of accounting, without a small, without a desk and a chair and a rent and a light. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes total sense. And you, <laughs> you kind of put to bed my devil's advocate there. <laughs> well, it's real, right? There's never yeah. enough cash. Yeah, for sure. So even though maybe you don't have enough cash to kind of do all of the things that you want to do, reporting on it won't change that fact, right? Reporting on it will just show you exactly where you're missing. Yeah, it, it, it'll highlight and for everyone. What are the shortfalls off? So now you can do something about it. Mm-hmm. I think you asked me, what's the mistake that most nonprofits make? Mm-hmm. It's not spending enough time on the financial management side. And in part, it's the same as in for-profit. It's fear. Mm-hmm. It's fear of, I really don't want to look at red numbers, right? I don't want to look at deficit spending. I don't want to right. have to. That's hard. Let me go do something I can control. Mm-hmm. And you can you can raise more money you can get a higher average gift and you can get more frequent giving when you're able to go to that donor and show them the tangible result and the financial reporting systems if they're set up right in quickbooks can do that for you very easily and you can do it yourself it doesn't cost a lot of money that's the beautiful part cuz nobody wants to spend $10,000 on an accounting system right right I think you've shared a lot of great wisdom here, especially for organizations that might be looking to run a little bit more efficiently. For our listeners who are part of nonprofits, uh, what is one tip or three tips or two tips that they can take and implement today, tomorrow, or next week um, to get them on the right track? Well, I think, you know, we'll stick with, you know, the how do you unleash the power of QuickBooks, right? Um, You need to look at development as a class Mm -hmm. and run a subclass for each fundraising activity. You know, one of the one of the biggest mistakes that I see is you people nonprofits don't look at the real costs of doing events. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 there's a lot, there's a mindset of under of thinking that I'm going to raise the most money 
by doing a gala, mm-hmm. by doing a golf tournament. Mm. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make a lot of money on the wine pull, on the ball drop, on the silent auction. Yeah. Events are really great for connecting with your donors, mm-hmm. for building a community spirit. They're really great for attracting new donors and new volunteers and recognizing those people who have made your work possible. And you'll, you, you can raise a lot of money from those donors, but you should be, the money should be raised before the event. Mm. And the event is an acknowledgement. It's a cultivation of your donors. It's, it's thanking them and recognizing them and, and recruiting for new donors. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the cost of your staff and your volunteers running all over town to get bottles of wine for a, ba- a gift basket, it is not an efficient use of fundraising time. <laughs> you know, giving USA is one of the best tips is, is worth, it's worth it's a couple of hundred bucks to get the report. Over 80% of giving comes from individuals, right? It's mm-hmm. personal solicitation. And that personal solicitation is where you want to put all your energy. Mm-hmm. Most nonprofits get their money from foundations or government grants. And that's less than 12% of giving. Right. And it's easiest because there's a schedule. Mm-hmm. The foundation has a website that tells you what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. There's an application that you can submit. And development officers love that because they can go to the board and say, we've submitted these 12 grants and we expect to get half of them. And here's what our forecast is. It's a lot harder to go to somebody and say, Carisha, I'm here to talk to you about giving $50,000 to help build our vocational training program. And I want to I wanna, you know, spend this next 45 minutes talking about what the impact of your gift will be on our program. Right. That takes guts, mm-hmm. but that's what works. And if you can have the data and show them that result, you're going to be wildly successful because people are looking for ways to make it different in the world. And, you know, I had Roger Craver on my podcast. I've got a podcast and I listen to Roger Craver, who, you know, he's one of the, the geniuses of, of direct marketing fundraising from Craver Matthew Smith. But he said, as too many nonprofits think right now in this pandemic world, in this recession, that it's going to be harder to raise money. In fact, that creates more of a case statement for you. Mm. Most, most people are doing quite well. Retail is in trouble. Transportation is in trouble. Entertainment is in trouble. Well, you know, but if you're in the service businesses, if you're in the, the rest of the world, manufacturing is doing really well. So your donors, don't assume that they can't make contributions right now. Right. In fact, make the opposite. Make an assumption that they really want to make a difference because if you're doing well in a pandemic, you know, there's some guilt and you want to make a difference with, with your wealth. Now's the time to do it. But I think what you got to do is you got to measure the effectiveness and the economics, mm-hmm. profitability of each of your fundraising activities and make sure that if you're doing events, that you're doing it for the right reason. You know, it's, 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 it's there for cultivation and acknowledgement and, 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 and not what most people think it is. I'm going to raise a quarter million dollars at the gala. No, you're going to raise a quarter million dollars in the two months prior to the gala. And then you're going to celebrate the fact that you got a quarter million dollars at the gala if it's done right. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Stephen, for, I think, really great tidbits of knowledge and wisdom. And hopefully 
people who are working in nonprofits and listening to this podcast can take a thing or two um, and implement it maybe today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Um, but we're not done yet. We're going to move on to my favorite part of any podcast, which is the rapid fire round. I'll ask you a series of 10 or so questions that I ask all of our podcast guests um, in about 30 seconds or so to answer them, but no pressure. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> I don't know what's coming, so I'm not, but let's go for it. Let's go for it. You got it. What's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Oh, um, blow, blow us away. Microsoft Teams. <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm an Apple guy, right? I got a MacBook Pros at home and at work. I got iPads, iPhones, but Microsoft got it right. Mm. Um, it has changed our company because email is a terrible way to communicate with your staff, with your clients. You know, it hasn't changed since 1972, basically, <laughs> right? And now, you know, Microsoft took a, you know, Microsoft does a really good job of copying other people's technology. So they weren't the, worth, the first word processor, but they built the best. They weren't the first uh, spreadsheet, but they built the best. And there was a tool called Slack, which Slack has a great acronym. I think it's like searchable location for all common knowledge. And, and what they did was they built on Slack an amazing tool that we're using it to replace Zoom, to replace Slack, to replace email, to replace file management. Uh, it, our meetings are run in Teams. And I just, I can't imagine going back to the old way. <laughs> My favorite thing to think about is how Skype had like a 10-year head start. <laughs> well, they built, Microsoft bought Skype. Oh, there you go. And so the video component yeah. of Teams is Skype. Oh. And, and the only reason you would know that is when you make a Teams phone call, it has the old Skype ring. <laughs> they didn't change the dial tone and the ring, so. Wow, full circle, full circle for sure. Uh, our next question, are there any tech issues you're battling with right now? Yeah, always. Um, you oh. know, the biggest one that we find in our clients is reconciling between the development system, you know, the, the fund masters and, the, and, the, and QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. And the, because development, if you get a multi-year gift, the proper accounting for that is to record all the revenue in the month that the revenue was given, right? In the month that the commitment was made in writing, right? So if you got a $300,000 grant over three years mm -hmm. in, in March of 2021, all of a sudden you got $300,000 of revenue in March, 2021, right. but, no, but no cash came in the door. So QuickBooks doesn't show any revenue. And so we've developed a whole reconciliation basically from development profit to real cash flow profit. And, and that's something that we have to teach clients to use because the technologies don't talk to each other as well as we would like them to. Mm. What's coming in the next year that has you the most excited? We're working on a program right now to help actually take these five steps these, you know, how to get data-driven decisions and actually walk our clients through how do you use them to raise more money. So, you know, we're not fundraising. We're not in the fundraising business, right? What GrowthForce does is outsource bookkeeping, accounting, and controller services for nonprofits. But 
what we're finding is what's really exciting is to be able to take it now and use it in ways that has never been done. So, you know, you, we, we, you get this dedicated team of a bookkeeper, an accountant, and a controller, and we've done a really good job of preparing the, the board reports, right? You mm-hmm. want to have the board to be strategic. You know, if you, if you give the board of directors your P&L with a budget versus actual, you know, two or three page P&L, mm-hmm. don't be surprised when one of the board members looks at a, at a NIT and says, oh, your technology spending was $5,000 over budget. What happened? Is the server okay? Now, all of a sudden, your board is focusing on micromanagement. Yeah. So what we've been able to do is create macro strategic reports that show you trends and the big decisions that the board should be working on is like, where do we get the most outcomes? Where do we raise the most money? Where do we make the, make the biggest investments? But now the next step is beyond that is getting reports into the hands of the directors of development to be able for them to be able to hit a button inside QuickBooks and be able to give that foundation, give that donor exactly what they need. And we're doing it. We, we, we started doing it now. We got three or four clients that were using it. And it's, mm. it's a game changer because now all of a sudden we're called growth force for a reason. We want to be a force to help you grow. Now we're at the fundraising stage. You know, we're not trying to be the director of development. We're trying to enable the director of development. We're trying to do development support in addition to audit support, tax support, board support, and management support. Yeah, that's awesome. And does sound super exciting. Yeah. Can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? You know, I used to think of people as an expense. Mm. I'm an accountant, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you if you want to increase your bottom line, you got to either increase your top line or lower your expenses. And I used to think, okay, people show up on the P&L or the statement of fun- functional expenses, and it says payroll expenses, and it says payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. And so my mindset was, I want to pay as little as possible. I want to get the cheapest health insurance. Mm-hmm. Because if I can save $10,000 on health insurance, I can put that for more outcomes. When in reality, your people are an asset, their most important asset. They're the ones who understand the mission, the vision, the values. They mm-hmm. understand the, the strategies to deliver on those uh, mission and to execute on those outcomes. And if you can invest in those people, in their skills, in their training, in their development, they're going to stay with you longer because we all have a need to get better. And right. so I, when, I, when I shifted from thinking of people as an expense to people as an asset, the whole world changed. It's, you don't have a revolving door in critical positions anymore. Right, for sure. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? You know, I haven't found one yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I often hear people say, you know, our goal is to go out of business, right? Mm. But, but unfortunately, you know, torture doesn't stop. Homelessness doesn't stop. Autism doesn't stop. Whatever it is, it's rare that somebody can say, we beat it. You know, mm-hmm. maybe in the medical field, you can say, okay, we, we no longer have an organization that's designed to help stop polio, mm-hmm. but it's an exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had a hot tub time machine that would take you back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? Enjoy the journey. <laughs> I, uh, I raised $43 million in venture capital funding in a startup that I made 
called Virtual Growth in New York City in 1995. Mm. And I worked seven days a week. I did red-eye flights back from LA to New York on Friday, Thursday night, so I could run a management team meeting on Friday mornings. Mm. So, and I didn't, I had a, I had a two-year-old, so I would take my two-year-old into the office on Saturday and you know, then we go up to Central Park for an hour or two. And now at age 60, I, I'm, I'm lucky that I, I actually got, um, I got, we sold that business to Insperity and Paul Savardi, the CEO, taught me how to live to work to live, mm. not, not live to work. And I, I was a New Yorker. I, I, 41 years living in New York. And that was our mindset there. You know, you're going to work till nine, 10 o'clock, but at least you get a car service home. Um, and I was lucky enough that when my kids were four and my, my oldest was turned four and my youngest was one mm-hmm. that I moved to Texas and I got a whole different perspective on quality of life. And um, luckily I caught that early and I got to coach my kids teams and be part of their life and be home for dinner every night and not get on planes. But I, I would have liked to have learned that in my thirties and not in my, my forties and fifties. Yeah, for sure. What's your favorite question to ask an organization or board member? Um, if you had a magic wand and you could get an extra $100,000, what would you do with it? Nice. You, you know, we have a client and in, 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 I just asked that question last week. In fact, at my four o'clock call after you is with that same client. It's the Torture Abolition and Survivor Support Coalition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and they came back and said, we'd like to hire an, a, a caseworker or a, a legal aid to be able to help more people. And I love when people know that answer like that, because then it's easy to build the case statement. It's easy mm. to go and say, okay, let's make that happen. And our conversation this afternoon is, okay, so what are the outputs that a caseworker would have? What are the outcomes as a result of those outputs? You're going to have more meetings. You're going to have more counseling sessions. What's going to happen? And I love seeing that result because now I'm confident we'll be able to raise the money. They'll be able to raise the money. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's a good one. Just two more questions. What's a piece of advice your parents gave you that you did or did not follow? Well, you know, I'm a son of two Irish immigrants off the boat from Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so I feel really blessed because I came, I, I grew up with some very strong core Irish Catholic values. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was from a the, from County Leitrim, Balmaglera, and the poorest county in Ireland. She was a farmer, son of a, a farmer's daughter, and my dad was from a rich suburb of of Dublin called Dunleary, mm-hmm. and um, so it was the best of both worlds, right? Um, but one of the things that my mom really instilled in us was being frugal, mm-hmm. and I didn't learn that until much later in life, you know. If I, if now I have that mindset and I'm trying to instill it in my kids, but you, you know, you, that frugal makes you appreciate Mm. what you've got instead of wanting something more. And so, you know, in my twenties, when I was at Ernst & Young, I was a high flying, you know, uh, I thought I was the top of the world. And it wasn't until I got to Amnesty International when, you know, we didn't have enough money to do all the things that you did. I learned that my mother was right. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so I'm glad I learned that though in my, in my thirties. Yeah, that's lovely. And then the last question, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I would do it the way I did it, which is a volunteer first, mm-hmm. you know, Amnesty was a client, um, 
But I was a volunteer for three years. I coordinated the high school students in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut as a student area coordinator. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because I, I, I worked on the ninth floor in our office on 26th Street and 8th Avenue. And I worked with all the program people, you know, and I, and I worked with our students to help further the program work. Mm-hmm. And then I get this call one day. This is a God thing. I get this call one day at, at Ernst & Young saying from a partner that I worked with on the audit side saying, hey, we just got this nonprofit client called Amnesty International. They need a new accounting system. And you're the accounting system manager expert. Um, can you help them? You know, we don't usually do nonprofits, so I'm not sure if we want this account. Right. And I was like, uh, do you know what I do for Amnesty? Uh, I got posters on my wall. HR has come in one day and said, take down your question authority poster. And I said, <laughs> I'm not taking it down. If I did, I wouldn't be questioning authority. You take it down. And they never did. Um, so I thought, you know, you must've heard that. No, it just happened. But when I went in there and I was able to go to the 10th floor and meet with the executive director and I'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm at Ernst and Young. I know how to design accounting systems, but I also work with Pete downstairs with all the students. He's like, you're an SAC, you're a student area coordinator. And that's, you know, they, that's when they offered me. It was like, okay, we want you, you're passionate about it. And I think that you volunteer first. You know, go in. I, I talk to a lot of accountants who come to me and say, look, I, I want to start my own accounting practice or my own bookkeeping practice. And I don't know where to start. And I say, go to your church, go to your local community service organizations. They all need accountants. Just volunteer there and learn QuickBooks on their dime. In fact, it won't even be on their dime because they're not paying you. You're a volunteer on your time. And then then you'll learn whether or not you have a passion for this or not. And I think you know, just volunteer first, and then that'll help you decide whether or not that's the life you want to do. For sure. Well, awesome. Those are all of my rapid fire questions. Thanks okay. I wasn't too rapid in my answers, I'm afraid. <laughs> no worries. Most people aren't. Um, but I think that's the fun part of it, too. Thank you again for sharing all of your wisdom and thoughts and knowledge. Um, where can people find you? So uh, if they want to learn more about our outsourced bookkeeping, accounting, and controller service, um, email is the best way to reach me. It's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at growthforce.com. Or our website, it's www.growthforce.com. That's G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com. And you can stop by and visit virtually. And we're, we'll share a lot of advice and happy to answer any questions. We've got a chat on there. And we're, you know, we love to help the nonprofit community. So, And then I'm on LinkedIn. It's Stephen King CPA and Twitter at SKingGForce. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks again, Stephen, for joining us. Thanks for having me. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 